shit we're there yeah i i hear yes. you yes oh thank god for that i am so sorry man what a complete <laughs> fucking disaster <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all man um Jeez. it it's all good it, there's always something i'm i'm just glad i didn't have to deal with it i just had to sit here with my coffee <laughs> yeah i just i'm just sitting there just swearing my head off in, a, in an empty garage but that's all right we're up and running we're up and running that's a good thing so all how right. are you doing uh today it's it's afternoon oh, for you yeah that's right yeah it's just approaching uh, yeah it's about quarter five yeah i'm doing good thanks for uh agreeing to doing the the morning recording as well i appreciate that uh makes my life a lot easier oh um it's great for me and it's easier to get the kid out of the house cool <laughs> and I get, I get to record inside and set out in my uh i like how uh you and duncan say it, the garage but garage, it sounds yeah. sort of hillbilly when i say it with my american accent but <laughs> I, I usually record out in my garage too right so oh. um yeah i, don't, I guess uh, do you want to get started and see yeah, man, see I'm where good, we yeah. go yeah okay. absolutely all right well um Welcome to another episode of the Psycho Semanticast. I think it's actually episode 10, but I'm product of the American education system, so my math's <laughs> pretty bad. I um so yeah, episode 10 or welcome to another episode. I'll edit that when I look it up, maybe. <laughs> and I am joined by the wonderful Mr. Kit Power. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. I've um I, I don't think I listened to last week's, but I have listened to all of the other Psychosemantic podcasts. I really enjoy the show, so uh, I appreciate being invited on. Thanks, thanks a lot, man. We'll we'll, we'll get to uh, your your podcasts in a second. Sure. But I love that you do. Well, I get we'll get to it right now. One of them right now, okay. at least. I all love right. that you do RoboCop yeah, over yeah. and over again with different people. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Well, I mean. So, like, I think it's the greatest movie ever made. I'm just going to stick my stake in the ground there and say that straight off the bat. So, you know, I was thinking about what I wanted to do for my own podcast. I wanted to do something monthly. And I, you know how it is. I wanted to do something easy. I wanted to do something that wouldn't require a lot of editing. Um, so I thought a commentary track's good for that because, um, you know, you don't, you can't really edit with a commentary track. It's got to run the same length as the movie that you're watching. Um, and also, as, as we may discover today, I have a tendency to talk. And if there's no structure to a podcast, the podcast that I'm on can end up going two, three, four hours, um, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. But it's kind of, you know, it's a pain in the neck to edit and you end up maybe breaking it into two parts, whatever, and all that. So I wanted something that meant I knew I could do a podcast in an evening and still get to bed on time, you know. So again, a commentary is good for that. It's bounded. It, it, you know, it can only be like a two-hour podcast because that's how long the film is. And then it was just a question of picking the movie, and it had to be Robocop. It's the greatest movie ever made. And uh, it, the thing about the movie is it's so good that 
although it's the same movie every month because it's a different guest every time the podcast is never the same you know um because i've had guests who love the film as much as i do i've had guests who've never seen it before or have only seen it once i've got people who saw it as a kid and haven't seen it since um so everyone brings their own perspective and everyone has their own things they want to talk about sometimes it's a commentary track sometimes it's a lot more like an interview you know while the movie's running really it's almost when we only touch base with the film periodically um but yeah it's it's i i I mean when i say and it was like well let's give it a go and so far i think i've got i mean eight episodes released i've got about 10 of them recorded and i'm 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 getting through them and so far i'm really happy with it it's uh there's enough variety to keep it interesting so uh yeah seems to be going all right (laughs) well i i might try to tap you for when uh, that show has to be used on a show like mine at least once (laughs) um so i I might see if you're interested later on yeah man sure what uh you mean a, a psychosomatic episode on robocop on the 87 robocop yes sir oh hell yes yeah i mean it, it's it's a it's a really really political movie there's no question about that it's got so much to say about um you know the role of uh the role of money in politics and um you know the uh, privatization of public services all that stuff i mean it's really and it's quite a biting satire in that respect so yeah man i yeah. I, I can always talk about robocop <laughs> <laughs> i need i need absolutely no uh i need no encouragement so yeah that yeah we'll we'll book it man that'd be great i'd love to do that oh great and you're you have a you have another show that i still have not checked out yet and i'm i'm sorry for that no don't be but it sounded really cool when i heard you talk about it yeah so that's that's wrong with authority so that's one where um the origin story i'll I'll cut it as short as i can but there's so there's a group of us uh daniel harper who you might know from they must be destroyed on site that he does with lee russell which is a great movie podcast uh they kind of specialize in b movies and you know cult cinema and stuff like that um and he also Daniel Harper also does a, a Doctor Who podcast. I'm a big Doctor Who geek, so I was listening to all these different Doctor Who podcasts. There's that one. There's one called Pex Lives, which has got a guy called James Murphy on it, and there was another one, uh, the Shabcast, by a guy called Jack Graham. Anyway, I guested on all these different Doctor Who podcasts, and then we got talking, and we ended up doing a podcast together, the four of us, um, on the you know the Nixon and JFK movies, the Oliver Stone movies. Mm-hmm. And basically, it ended up running to four and a half hours, so we broke it into two and we put them out. But we kind of realized we had a chemistry between the four of us that worked really well. So we came up with this cast. So basically, it's it's not quite monthly. It's We're trying to get monthly, but it's hard to get four people together. But it's, it's roughly monthly. But basically, it's we watch two movies that have some kind of thematic connection uh, and that are also related to historical events. And then we talk about the movies themselves and the relative merits of the films. But we also talk about the relationships the movies have to each other and the relationship they have to the history they're claiming to represent. So we're, we're three episodes in. We've done um, two Jack the Ripper movies for the first episode. Then we did, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on what the second episode was now. Oh, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's awful. You see, once I've done it, it's gone from my brain. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I never look back, man. That's well, because you're always looking on to the next the next project and giving you, your devotion. You're not to wrong. That. You, you know what it is. My brain is absolutely full of the Manchurian Candidate and um, and the Wolf of Wall Street and the Big Short, which are the two ones we're doing next. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because I, I I I mean we rotate the hosting duties. So 
if you're hosting, you get to pick the movies. So these, this was my pick was those two films was the Wolf of Wall Street, and the big short, um, brilliant call. So, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'd be, Oh, we did. Yeah. So we did shadow of the vampire gods and monsters. Um, so two sort of biopics about the early days of cinema. And we did a beautiful mind in the imitation game, which is great because Daniel Harper got to kick off about representations of mental illness in Hollywood. And he's, it's just great to listen to because he's so angry about that stuff, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and I, I mean that as a compliment, you know, cause he's intelligently angry. Like he's, it's a good thing to be angry about, you know what I mean? Like there's some real, real sort of nonsense that gets perpetuated there. So yeah, it's okay. a, that's a fun show. I recommend that one. But yeah, and then as I say, so we, we've had to bounce it from this weekend, but hopefully next weekend we'll get Wolf of Wall Street and uh, Big Short done. The show sounds fucking brilliant, dude. Great, and thank you for suggesting that we do The Manchurian Candidate. I think that it's, it's one of those movies, I mean, I generally don't go point by point through the movies anyway on the show sure. because it's more of a, you know, lucky for you, you've got a hard out. Because this show could go on for four hours because I have no outline. Sure. I'd never have structure except for I try to go forward eventually. Well, I got to say, yeah, I got to say that's one of the things I've liked listening to it. Like genuinely, each time I download it, I don't know what I'm going to get in terms of the structure because you let the guest lead it um, or you let the subject lead itself. And I think that makes, I think that's really good because it gives you flexibility in the format. Um, so I think that's the strength of the show, to be honest with you. Thank you very much. We watched both the movies. I've never read yeah. the book. Have you read the book by uh, no, I... Richard Condon? No, I'm not. I'm not familiar with the source material at all. Yeah, I, I've heard slight references to the source material in some of my research of the film, but I, uh, I did not have the time to read it. For anybody that has never heard of the Manchurian Candidate in pop culture, basically, it is the idea of someone being brainwashed into being an unknowing assassin. That's basically the whole story right there. And, uh, yeah, no, I think that's it. The idea is that it's the perfect sleeper agent, right? Because they don't even know they're a sleeper. That's the whole point. It's someone who's been brainwashed and then planted with a post-hypnotic suggestion. So that they go into that they go back to civilian life in the country that you're targeting with um and live a normal life with no knowledge themselves that they are a double agent or that they are a, a sleeper agent and then they're triggered by uh by post hypnotic suggestion yeah i figured we would probably just sort of since the movies were i had never seen the remake before i started preparing for this i found that they were relatively I mean, updated for the times, but they were relatively the same movie with very minor changes. In uh... yeah, I was yeah, I, I had seen them both, but I was in, I was really surprised how close the the plots hew to each other. They really, it, you're right. It's the same. It's absolutely the same story with very few cosmetic changes, isn't it? There is a army troop. I I, I don't know that much about the military. I don't know what it would be called. A not a battalion. That sounds too big. A unit? Yeah, it's, I think it was a unit. Yeah, I think that's right. So there's a U.S. military unit, and they are fighting whoever is the American enemy at the time. In the, uh, <laughs> in the 1962 one, it's the commies. It's Korea, isn't it? Yeah, in yep. the first one. Yep. It's, it's the Koreans and the Russians. But they were, yeah, yeah. they were in North Korea near Manchuria, China, 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And in the 2004 version, they are in Kuwait getting ready for, God, what was it called? Operation Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Which one? Well, yeah, it's Gulf. Is it Gulf War 1 or Gulf War 2? They're getting, I can't remember which one it is they're getting powered up for. I think it was the first one. Yeah, I think you're right. When they're the referencing Kuwait. Yeah. And yeah, I think, yeah, you must be right. It, I, but it came out during Gulf War Two, because it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it came out post 9-11. I think that there was a lot of stuff talked about that was going on in the early 2000s, because yeah. in, in the original, the Manchurian candidate is named so because when Frank Sinatra and... God, I can't remember the name of the guy that plays the Lee of Schreiber character in the original. Yeah, it's uh, so the, you mean Raymond Shaw, the uh, the candidate. It's Lawrence Harvey. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't remember that. The yeah, the the Shaw character yeah. and their unit are taken in 1962. They're taken to China, where the evil commies gather together <laughs> and transposes back and forth or juxtaposes yeah with uh old lady's garden party yeah and the the crafty commies yeah who look like i think they look like they're in a they're in a james bond villain set from the 60s like i think they like in the original movie the background (laughs) because there's 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 full-on giant posters of like stalin and mao on the wall aren't there and it's got that kind of railing and that you know that '60s kind of futuristic '60s brushed aluminium vibe going mm-hmm. on. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. It really, you know, it's really evocative of those of those sort of Bond movies. Um, although thinking about it, the film came out in '62, so it, it actually maybe Bond stole it from there. Maybe it's uh, maybe I'm reverse engineering that. I don't know. I, I I sort of chalked it up to being more of the style at the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm a red-blooded American male. I've seen some James Bond movies, but I can't really um, claim to know a lot about them. And I sure, but I think it's the aesthetic because, and I know uh, Austin Powers is spoofing the James Bond type movies, but I mean, I thought I saw one of the guys in the '62 Manchurian Candidate wearing a Doctor Evil costume. <laughs> Yeah, it's not far off, is it? Yeah, you're right. I, I I hadn't I hadn't put it together. I think he's got a mustache. I think that's the only difference. But mm-hmm. yeah, it is pretty much the same. Yeah, I know you're thinking about it. It's the same guy. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, well, clearly that's where Austin Powers nicked it from. They were clearly mushing that. <laughs> and they've been brainwashed by a random task or odd job. At this point, that is the slight difference. I think in the movie, the first difference I noticed in the movies was. In the original one, and it's similar in the book from what I find, Mm. they're kidnapped by an enemy, quote unquote, of the American people. And in the remake, it was, there was a lot of talk in the early thousands about Halliburton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Vice President Cheney's giant business that had private contractors dealing with all the stuff going on in the war on yeah. terror 
It was pretty well covered in the in the sort of left leaning press of the UK, such as such as it is. So you know mm. the mainstream like, publications like the Guardian, which is that's mainly the kind of thing I read. So yeah, I, I'm aware of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So they, I think Mike. I think sorry, I was just going to say I think Michael Moore spent quite a bit of time on that in Fahrenheit 9/11, didn't he as well? Oh, which I remember. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Politics and business, and when businessmen become politicians. They become yeah. inextricably intertwined. Sure. So they had a plan. I, I feel like the plan in the update updated one was a little bit more sound than the plan in the first one. Because <laughs> I, basically they were going to take a soldier, fabricate his heroic duties into getting him a medal of honor which would then help catapult somebody towards the White House. Yeah. Maybe, I think in the in the remake they say the first privately owned and operated vice president. Mm. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the remake since it was when it was I feel like they they sort of had to take some of the some of the balls or some of the ovaries off the Angela Lansbury <laughs> slash Meryl Streep character. Yeah. Yeah. Just who, just a little. Just yeah. A, yeah. 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 But they did. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. I see where you're going with that. So she's helping her husband, who's like Joseph McCarthy in the 60s version, mm-hmm. get to the White House because the Shaw character is his stepson. Yeah. Whereas in the in the remake, he is the one being sort of well, not sort of. He is the one that is being sent towards the White House. And I feel like yeah. in the 60s version, which I mean, I don't I don't even want to say spoiler alert. If you're listening, you you know you know the deal. Um Yeah, go go watch these. If you haven't seen these films, go watch them. I mean, I'm just going to say that up front before we go any further. Go watch them cuz A we're going to spoil them and B they're worth your time. They're good. I think they're both good movies. Oh, so much. I I rewatched both of them again yesterday just because Yeah. They try to kill the plan is to kill the presidential candidate in the original one. Yeah. The day he gets the nomination to be president. Mm-hmm. And then he'll be killed, and then Joseph McCarthy character will hold him in his arms and do a very moving speech. Yeah, it's so great, isn't it, where, where Lansbury delivers the speech that he's going to give, and it's so, you know, like, it's so much more convincing coming out of her mouth than it's going to be out of that doofus. Like, it's so, <laughs> like, it's so, I love that scene. It's so well played. Uh, yeah, she's so in charge. That was one one of the common threads of that character the, through both movies, though, is she is ultimately the one in charge. Oh yeah, she's the she's the boss. Absolutely. Yeah. In the in the 60s, she I don't know how many times she's telling the guy to shut up and do what he's told. <laughs> so see, there's that great line where she says, "You know, you you have a great many strengths, my dear, but but thinking isn't one of them." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Couldn't you just tell me how many communists I know there are? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just keep yelling, point of order, point of order, I'll do the rest. <laughs> and then I, I didn't even notice um, until the second time through. 
this time because the the original Manchurian Candidate was one of the types of movies that my my dad would have on, and I'd be in and out of the uh, room. Sure. But when they are having that conversation at the breakfast table, and I don't know if you noticed this, but when they were going on about the numbers changing, and he's mm. putting ketchup on his steak. Right. <laughs> no, I had, it, yeah, that's good. It's Heinz ketchup. Nice. So that's 57. Uh, it's Heinz 57. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it cuts to him saying, there's 57 communists. <laughs> Brilliant. No, I hadn't spotted that, but I love it. I love it. I was like, oh, fuck. You know, that's just showing how arbitrary it really is when you're building up a, well, I don't want to say fake enemy, but an exaggerated enemy Mm. or whatever, because the Cold War was real. Yeah, yeah. I think we're we're of similar age, so we we kind of grew up around it. and Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and there were, there were, of course, there were Soviet spies trying to spy on America as there were American spies trying to spy on the Soviets. That was mm-hmm. the game. Of course there were. That was everyone, you know, all of the major powers were involved in some kind of espionage. It's what major powers do. Um, sure. I had trouble figuring out where the author got his original idea. I didn't really look into him too much since I knew we were going to be talking about the movies mostly. There's all those parallels to the beginning in the 1950s or sort of after what operation paperclip when america gave shelter to a lot of nazi scientists sure and uh other scientists from other vanquished enemies of world war ii and allowed Mm -hmm. them to continue their research as long as it was for us for the good guys yeah 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 (laughs) and In my looking into the the MK Ultra program, which had quite a few different names, it yeah. started out as Project Artichoke in the fifties. Okay, which turned into Bluebird, mm. and then MK Ultra, and and it's kind of hard when you go through. There's a decent amount of memos and whatnot available from the Freedom of Information Act, but so many things are redacted. Sure. And then there's so many conspiracy theories about it that it's hard to know what you're really looking at. But Mm. it basically goes down to the CIA and who knows what other agencies, either for fun or for their benefit, or the official stance is they had to see if it was possible, in case someone else knew how to do it, to use electroshock, (laughs) drugs, torture... Sure. Uh, to make a quote-unquote Manchurian candidate. And right. they did a lot of experiments with LSD. Uh, Ken Kesey, uh, as a writer, you probably know yeah, more about yeah, Ken yeah. Kesey than I do, but he was a early volunteer in part of the MK Ultra program, and that's what got him into acid. Right. And the most notorious, I think, story about the MK Ultra program was when Frank Olson was, unbeknownst to him, given LSD by a CIA prostitute and he jumped or was thrown out of a window. Right. And none of those documents were really available in the 50s when the book was written. So I'm not really sure how so many things lined up. I wonder if the CIA got the idea from him. 
Uh, that's <laughs> Sometimes. God. That's 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 a depressing thought, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. They're like, I mean, oh, just, yeah. I mean, you just kind of hope the guy was really prescient as a writer, don't you? But that would be horrendous. I mean, it's interesting. You do get things like this happen periodically with fiction. You get these kind of echoes of, you know, you'll read a work of fiction that was written before an event. And then it'll it'll appear to have echoes of the event. There was a similar thing happened. Tom Clancy, I remember actually, in the in the mid to late nineties, had a novel that involved terrorists flying planes into buildings. It was one of the parts mm. of the plot. And I remember post nine eleven, it was something that got picked up as like, wow, you know, that was, you know, how did he how did he see that coming, sort of thing. Um, it's really interesting that yeah, I mean. <laughs> You've put a very dark spin on it, saying, "Well, maybe they, maybe someone in the CIA was reading the Manchurian Kelly. Well, hey, we should fucking try this. That's, uh, that's hey, a terror- yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, that's a terrifying thought. Yeah, maybe. God, maybe it did go that way, or maybe it's just. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think, you know, as I mean, I do a bit of creative writing myself, and I, I tend to think it's just about. Um, I think when you're writing, you just the same thought process that whoever it was in the CIA that went through to come up with the idea of MK Ultra, it's a similar thought process that the fiction writer will have gone through. I'm sure, you know, like the, the stepping stones are the same. Uh, it's just the fiction writers doing it for just to see what happens, you know, for the story. <laughs> Whereas the CIA is going to do it to try and change the course of the cold war or whatever. Um, so I'm inclined to feel like, you know, my instinct is to say it's just kind of a zeitgeisty thing that happens. Um, but it's very, yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? And, it? and as you say, the idea that this book could be written probably, almost certainly without any knowledge of MK Ultra is really weird considering how closely it hues to that stuff. I thought I thought that that was pretty, pretty cool. And I, I, I'm not very aware of that time frame in America. So I know that, LSD was being used as medicines and I'm sure it was just sort of like you said being a writer being a creative mind you sort of pick up a tiny thread sure and see where your little tugs of creativity (laughs) take you yeah and it's yeah I mean that's uh, the not to not to go off on a huge tangent here which we could do but it's interesting to me to note that because you're right that it's the fact that at that point LSD certainly wasn't illegal when it first came out because it had only just been invented and they didn't know to ban it. You know, you could buy amphetamines over the counter right up to the sixties. Um, you know, they only made speed illegal sort of mid sixties. I mean, that's, you know, that's how Johnny Cash got hooked. When Johnny Cash got hooked on amphetamines, you could buy them. You could go mm-hmm. into any drugstore and buy them. You know, that's how, and when you're doing 200 shows a year and you're driving yourself across country with Jerry Lewis in the back seat flirting with your girlfriend, you've got to do something to stay awake and not kill anyone. So of course you end up getting hooked on amphetamines. It's just fascinating for me. It's, it's hard. I think it's sometimes hard to remember that in the modern environment where we've lived with the sorry i'm trying not to swear when we have to live oh, with like the, you could swear okay when you have to live with a fucking ridiculous war on drugs that we've lived with that you, that you and i grew up with right mm-hmm. it's been part of our and the trouble with growing up with something like that is background noises it's so insistent and powerful that you you're kind of you forget that there's a time when the world didn't work that way and yet not that long before we were born that wasn't the way the world was you know we didn't have this <laughs> insane prohibition against recreational drugs that we've got at the moment yeah um 
you know, it, it's it, that's uh, that for me is a really interesting thing you do when you look back at even fairly recent history. I mean, this is all living memory. You know, the fifties is very comfortably living memory. You know, my dad was a teenager in the in the fifties, mm-hmm. like and and yeah, and it was all these things that we think of as cast iron laws of 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 the world were were not so. You know, you could you could buy drugs over the counter. Yeah, and they were a lot <laughs> they were a lot cheaper. Yeah, and higher quality and safer mm-hmm. because you could you could accurately monitor uh, you know monitor your dosage, um, and you knew you knew when you were taking something what you were taking. Um, yeah, and then they when they installed harsher prohibition tactics, it was like during uh, the alcohol prohibition here, people were going blind, people were dying, yep. trying yep. to get drunk. But even it then, a, you could get yeah. a prescription. You could get a prescription for alcohol. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, no, that's it, isn't it? But I always think that's amazing. I always think you look back. I, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't get a, a firmer kind of experiment with a result than the than the prohibition of alcohol in the thirties, right? Mm-hmm. That's you know that is an incredible high level society experiment, right? We're going to try and ban this substance that we know causes a lot of social harm, and we're going to see if banning it works. And the outcome was an unmitigated disaster. And, you know, there's no way you can look at the way Prohibition went and go, oh, that's clearly how we should be running the world, right? It's, it's it, you know, asked and answered. We tried it, and it really, really, really epically failed. <laughs> and that's, you know, I'm all for that. You've got to try things out as societies. You've got to figure out ways for things to work. You don't know until you try it whether or not it's going to work. But we've tried it now. We know it's a broken model. We know it leads to failure and disaster and organized crime and misery for everyone involved why are we still doing it why, yeah. why on earth would you keep doing that you know i guess it depends on similarly with these films who's got the money who's calling the shots yeah yeah it doesn't do them it doesn't do the alcohol industry any good to uh have legal marijuana or something like that there was just here in the states there was a business in arizona that spent almost 500 million American dollars to, or 500,000, sorry, American dollars to keep them from passing a decriminalization law. Jesus. And then they, just a couple weeks ago, they were approved a patent by the the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Mm -hmm. Administration, Mm -hmm. for synthetic marijuana. Oh, for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But it's an interesting thing. I mean, this is one of those things where, because capitalism, uh, it can feel a bit monolithic from the outside, and it often is. But there is also like competition within. Because I mean, I'm pretty confident that that the Philip Morris Tobacco Company, who make Marlboro cigarettes, I think in the '90s they bought the brand name Spliffs. I think a, they did. Yeah, and I think they're still sitting. On, so they are clearly that's a. I mean, in, with the amount of money they've got, that's a side bet, you know. But that's still they still made a financial investment in a version of the future they can see happening. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's a stake in the ground for them. Um, I mean, that's, that's what makes me crazy about prohibition. Like it's not just that it's harmful to the end users and it creates this huge, you know, level of opportunity for organized crime. Um, but it's also that it, it actually, you can even, you could actually make a capitalist right wing argument in favor of liberalization because mm-hmm. it's about it's about freedom of choice it's about freedom of commerce it's about allowing people to buy and sell the things they want to buy and sell Smaller what could be government. more 
Right. What what could be more right wing than that? You know, come on. This is this is this is the free market in action. And I mean, from the lefty perspective, my thing is like legalize it and tax the shit out of it. People yeah. will pay and mm-hmm. then you use that money to build hospitals and build schools and educate. You know, I mean, it's it's an absolute no brainer to me. Um, and it's quite. I think what's astonishing to me is I'm amazed at how American politics has shifted on this in the last 10 years. And it seems to, as from an outsider who admittedly doesn't follow the day to day too much, it really does feel to have come out of nowhere. You guys have suddenly just started, decided to do these massive experiments in Colorado, Washington State. And California passed something last time, I think. Or was yep. that just, was that medical? Yeah. California, I mean, and that's, uh, was it Oregon, med- medical marijuana, Washington. Was it? Yeah. In, but in California, you can get medical really easy right sure sure yeah but i just i'm just astonished by that i just think it's i I mean the gay marriage thing i kind of saw coming because it's felt like that's the social tidal wave that's been waiting to break for a long time you know what i mean like Mm. it felt you could see the momentum that had been building over that particular issue for a long long time um but the marijuana stuff's just for me it's come out of nowhere in the last 10 years and it's really kind of it's heartwarming. I got to say, when you see how many how badly so many other things appear to be going, <laughs> um, it's nice to have these little chinks of these little rays of sunshine here and there. Where you think, well, that's progress at least. Yeah, the, you know. the states that have legalized it or decriminalized—I forget what the proper term of it is. Sure, sure. Um, they they're tax surplus, rebuilding yeah. schools. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, teen marijuana use because you have to be 18 but right. underage marijuana use is not going up that was oh, one of the things that opponents said was going to happen sure uh opioid and opium addiction is going down oh that's great i mean that's that's a big problem here in the states is uh heroin right. and oxycontin and other synthetics is just right ravaging people but jesus even fucking rush limbaugh got caught out on that shit right yeah that shit gets everywhere <laughs> yeah it's it's not it's not just uh and that's that's when it started getting attentions with like right. most things when it comes out of the ghetto and starts hurting white people yeah yeah then suddenly people start giving a shit yeah right yeah and uh <sighs> yeah i try to pay attention to more global politics and i'm I don't know if we want to continue on this tangent that I'm having fun with or if you want to route it back just, towards the movie. I feel like, you know what I feel like we should do? We should, uh, maybe we should, I don't know, maybe we should come, maybe we should watch The Untouchables and use that as an excuse to come back and talk about Prohibition or something <laughs> like I, I'm game for that. I'm game cool. for that. Um, cool. So, where were we in the Manchurian? Oh, so, in, in the original Manchurian Candidate... It's basically yeah. all set up that when he gets off the plane, he uh, Raymond Shaw is going to start being used as a political prop. And he's yeah. like, fuck you, mom. I hate you. And your stupid <laughs> husband. Yeah. In, in the, in the remake, uh, Meryl Streep comes in. Uh, she says she did not base her character off um, Hillary Clinton. She said right. she based her character off. Condoleezza Rice and some other more right-wing people. Uh, okay. yeah. They didn't I, I, specify it, yeah. the party lines in the remake. 
you spotted that yeah that, i thought that was really interesting that they didn't they didn't name which because it street they could have been democrats street mm-hmm. absolutely could have been a, a democrat fixer i think it would have that's i think that's the really scary thing about the remake actually or maybe it's one of the really smart things about it it kind of doesn't matter which party it is it feels plausible either way because authoritarianism really isn't linked to a particular party authoritarianism is like a separate political axis that runs left to right you know you get right-wing authoritarians you get right-wing libertarians you get left-wing libertarians and left-wing authoritarians very much so oh yeah it's it's you know and that i think that that's actually one of the smarter things in the politics of the second movie is that it it kind of it plausibly could be either he could be a democrat or a republican candidate and it's kind of plausible either way yeah, and they they did a good mix, and it partially because I know the politics of most of the actors. Mm-hmm. There were people from both. I hate that I say right. both sides because there should yeah, yeah, be yeah. way more political parties in power. But yeah, but that's both the sides of the yeah. aisle. Uh, John no, absolutely. Voight- Hmm? Yeah, I was going to say, no, I, that's exactly what, yeah, no, I, that's just what I was going to say. Yeah, I know John Voight's like a Fox News regular, or he certainly used to be, uh, terrifying by my standards, right winger. And of course, Meryl Streep, very, very liberal. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many Hillary Clinton rallies she was at during this past election. <laughs> quite quite a what, few. Does she have the big bust up with Susan Sarandon on Twitter? Because Sarandon uh-huh. was into really supporting Bernie and they had a bit... I can't remember. Susan Sarandon had a bust up with some other big, big Hollywood actress over Bernie. I think, I think it was with Streep, and then yeah. I'm, th- I'm pretty sure Sarandon went from Bernie to Jill Stein. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I don't would, know if that, you're <laughs> very aware of Jill Stein. I'm aware. Yeah, I'm aware of. Yeah, that would. I have, I have, um, I've got a few, I've got a few friends in the states, and they tend to be left leaning. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, with Jill Stein. <laughs> Uh, less so with the libertarian candidate. I mean, I know he existed, but I don't know a lot about him. But yeah, Stein definitely made it onto my radar. Yeah, it's 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 tough sometimes with the libertarian party because depending on and with all the parties, like we were saying, yeah, they go all over the spectrum. There's some libertarians that are the whole I want to carry a gun and smoke pot at my gay friend's wedding. Yep. And there's yep. others that are I'm a Republican, but I want to smoke pot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I my thing about libertarians is, and I always get this, like, and this is, uh, this is, uh, this is a, okay, this is going to sound ruder than I mean it to be. So I kind of apologize in advance. I have libertarian friends, and I apologize in advance because I realize this one may feel a bit rude. But my thing, whenever I talk as a lefty, whenever I end up discussing something with libertarian, there's this joke about how, like, when you when your friend when you have a dog. Uh, you can go through a period of time where you're almost convinced that the dog is just like you, that they're another person. And, you know, because they've got personalities, dog, right? Mm-hmm. And you can almost have a conversation with them. They react to what you're saying and you think, oh, you're just, you know, you're another person. And then you'll be halfway through, like, talking to a dog and they'll suddenly stop and lick their arsehole. And you'll be like, oh, no, <laughs> we're not. We're not the same. And that's me and libertarians. I'll, I'll talk to a libertarian and we can talk about drug legalization all day. And I'll be like, dude, we're the same person. This is amazing. And then they'll just say, like, but taxation is theft or or but states rights should trump everything else. And it doesn't matter if, you know, the Civil Rights Act should be repealed. And I'm like, oh, ah, no, we're not. We're not the same. Oh, we? We, are, we are different. We are yeah. Different yeah. Creatures. Same thing. I've got some friends yeah. that we just have some things we don't talk about. 
Yeah, yeah, and I and I mean it genuinely. Like I don't, and as you say, and then you've got the the right way or the right wing libertarians or the oh man, my personal pet hate the the anarcho capitalists who I'm just like, <laughs> uh, I cannot stand ANCAP. That's just like they're just the worst of all possible worlds as far as I can make out. Like it how, just does. It's like how did you get why, there? Exactly, and it's like how did he get there? What's how do you get out? And 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 what what about the world? do you think would be improved by putting ronald mcdonald in charge of everything exactly <laughs> but how, how is that a solution to anything as opposed to making it work I don't, anyway whatever we're way way off topic i'm sorry <laughs> no no uh this you've heard enough episodes to know this is how i roll no I, sure 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 <laughs> no i just i want to talk about the movies because they're really interesting i want to talk about the politics of the films themselves but yeah anyway all of that was from they could have been it could have been either party couldn't it which i think yep. yeah i think that's uh, yeah could have been either party meryl streep comes in like a congressional whip and yep. basically crushes everybody's spirits in thinking that they can defy her did you notice that one of the guy mr secretary was roger corman Oh, I don't. Yeah, I didn't think I spotted that. That's a good catch. I, I, I thought he looked familiar, so I looked it up. And, right. Uh, he was Roger Corman. Um, of <laughs> so the Meryl Streep character is obviously a lot more modern political woman. You know, she's a senator. They didn't have to do it like in the other one where she was a senator's wife. And right. I think that transfer of power made the. I guess it's one of the first twists or one of the later twists, the one where we find out that she is the American handler, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That made it a little less shocking. I feel like if I'm looking at them objectively as if I didn't know the story. Sure. In the, in the original, she just all of a sudden here's this giant fucking queen of diamonds card yeah yeah no it's so great in the original because it's 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 completely out of left field there's something kind of there's something very well not very there's something slightly sinister about street from the get-go isn't there she's such mm -hmm. a she's so will to power in the way she plays the character that it's it, it feels far more plausible it's less somehow less of a shock but with lansbury even though she's similarly manipulative and domineering I don't know. Maybe it's just because I know Lansbury so much better as 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 Jessica Fletcher, and mm. to me, there's there's a cuddly aspect to it, even though it's not really played in in the movie. But like, <laughs> I maybe it's just my own mind superimposing that later cuddliness on her that makes it. But it it feels like a total bombshell in the original when she just says, "Would you like to play solitaire to relax?" It's like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a magical. Whereas with, with Street, when the reveal happened, and it happens later, I think in the in the remake, if I remember rightly, it's quite oh, a late reveal. Quite a bit later, because it's right near the the final the climax. Yeah. It's 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 more of a oh right, you know. It kind of it, it's still it's still a bit of a twist, but it feels less of a shock somehow. I think it kind of fits better with what we've seen of her to that point, maybe. Well, and she had. You know, so early on, she introduced him to uh, the the stockholders or whatever from Man yeah. Manchurian Global, Halloween. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or Blackwater. I'm I'm assuming it was more a nod towards Halliburton than the private military contractor uh, Blackwater that was used. Alleged, yeah, I'll say allegedly. That way, sure, sure, sure. Don't get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, because they are listening to everything. It's, yeah, we, this, has been, this has been very well established. There's, there's, <laughs> yep, there's. I haven't had the helicopter fly over yet, but <laughs> it's coming. I've got the shades drawn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> try to keep moving. <laughs> the the street. Uh, yeah, and I I think in in the original she they there's similar speeches where she said uh, you you may not ever fully understand this yeah basically i did it for you i think in the original since there is more of more animosity between them there isn't so much of the i'm giving you a sponge bath and we look like we're gonna make out yeah that whole thing i mean that's yeah it's the the the, the subtle difference because you're right they, they're absolutely the same story but i'm fascinated by the subtle differences between the two um and one of the things i love in the original is the fact that lansbury's whole sp- that speech that she gives the same speech where she says they i asked them to give me a weapon but i never imagined they give me you and when i'm in charge i'm going to destroy them for what they've done to you which is very which is very different from streeps like it's all going to be okay honey because you're going to be president you know it's it's a totally different so whereas whereas um lansbury's almost she's because that's the thing isn't it lansbury's actually a committed communist in that movie um Mm -hmm. and i love i love by the way I love the the trick that the movie pulls of having the rabid anti-communist actually being a communist sleeper. I think that's that's superb that he's and I think he's being manipulated. I don't think he realizes it, but the senator who's who's running all this uh, anti-communist stuff, his wife is actually <laughs> this massive communist conspirator who's about to, you know, uh, yeah, he's about to take over the country basically. Because um, thinking is love- one of his good qualities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I love, I love the way because that way the movie—it's actually quite a canny move on the part of the the sixty-two movie because it kind of gets to have its political cake and eat it, doesn't it? Mm. It gets to it gets to have a pop at McCarthyism, but it gets to do it while still also being a paranoid Cold War thriller about communists trying to take over the American <laughs> government. And I think that's really cool. I love the because like you imagine that they've had a tough time. I mean, given Sinatra's politics, you imagine that they've got a tough time getting him involved if it had been a straight up liberal commentary on, you know, McCarthyism and the evils of McCarthyism. Cause I suspect Sinatra probably had some sympathies for McCarthy and, and that whole anti-communist thing. He was quite, in my impression anyway, of Sinatra, he was, he was reasonably right wing. Um, yeah. Rel- relatively from, relatively. from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, and for the period as well. I mean, that's worth bearing in mind. You know, a right, a right-wing Republican in the '60s would be a, a left-leaning Democrat these days. I mean, the the, the yeah. windows the windows shifted a huge amount. But, but like, I think that I love. So I love how the film plays that. It manages to have a real, and it's really, it's clearly really angry about McCarthyism. The movie, it's clearly really because the guy is a buffoon, isn't he? He's a so much so. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Bad movies. The world is full of them. From low-budget crap fests to downright unwatchable. And only two men are willing to watch them all. So climb in and take your seat. This is Short Bus Cinema. Let's do it. 
Hey everyone, this is Johnny Krug from Kruger Nation. And this is Rick Morgan from the Helming Power Hour. And we have decided to team up and take you where no one has gone before. We're on a quest to find the world's worst movie, and we're doing it on the bus. Driving through cult classics in every genre to find the holy grail of bad movies. So if you're looking for something different and more fun than you can stand, then climb on in. Short Bus Cinema is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. That's right, yo! Short Bus Cinema. We'd love to watch the movies you hate. In a world gone mad. As you know, the doomsday clock is a symbolic clock face analogizing humankind's proximity to extinction. One man must fight to survive on the global junkie of the future. You maniacs! You blew it up! Ah, oh, damn you! God damn you all to hell! Which versus the Doomsday Clock is that man's story. His search for entertainment is transmitted across time and space for your listening pleasure on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and your Android device. This podcast is not fit for human consumption. Side effects include laughter, concern, nausea, vomiting, and burden from all artists. The producers accept our responsibility for any side effects, illness, or internet range of mind cause. My back guarantee is worth nothing. Zero, 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 uh, I roll, no sausage. In short, you get nothing. Nothing. Good day, sir. Oh no!
cut out for a minute. She's thriller where the commies are coming to get us and they're about to take over the world. You know, I love that. I think that's a really smart bit of storytelling. Um, and I think it's the way they had to do it because one of the things mm. that they did change the the sexuality between the the, the mother and the son is intentional. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's even the through line through the book. And since probably Sinatra, but definitely a little bit for the censors, yeah. everything a lot more stuff had to be implied yeah you got to play that they had to play that stuff a lot more carefully didn't they uh in the 60s but i do love that and i love i love the difference in those the way those two scenes play out i love the fact that for lansbury she's like yeah i'm gonna take over but i'm gonna kick the shit out of them because of what they've done to you whereas streep's total will to power the whole way you oh, know yeah. streep's just like no that's fine i know you don't understand you'll never understand but that everything's going to be fine, darling. Yeah, you know? gonna be great. You're going to be president. I'll yeah. Give you sponge baths every day and keep yeah. your evil girlfriend away. Yeah. Oh. oh, I know how to get rid of your evil girlfriend. Yeah. Christ. And I'm glad they tried. They didn't try to recreate that scene. Yeah. That was one of the more iconic scenes, I think, from the original uh, yeah yeah i mean it's funny i hadn't seen i rewatched the original uh i'd seen the original a few years ago and i haven't watched it since i mean selfishly one of the reasons i picked these two movies is because it would give me an excuse to watch them again um because i'm now at that point with my podcasting where i do it so often that i don't get to consume media unless it's for a podcast yeah it's really really sad but i've almost got to that stage now um so yeah, uh, I hadn't. So I'd forgotten about the Queen of Diamonds gag in the original. I'd forgotten the point where his girlfriend turns up in the Queen of Diamonds, and I, and I, I love that. I love, love, love that because it's 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 set up with a fancy dress, isn't it? Where you've got you've got you know the senator. I love oh I love the dickhead senator dressed as Lincoln. By the way, that's mm-hmm. so great. Is that because it speaks to his vanity so well, doesn't it? Yeah, of course you'd come dressed as Lincoln. That's really how you see yourself. <laughs> you smug, smug, smug kid, you know. yeah, smug, arrogant idiot, you know. Um, and then, yeah, and then the fact that his girlfriend and the, and the way they hold back, don't they, for the reveal? And then suddenly there's that it's that wide shot, and you see her in this gigantic <laughs> queen of diamonds <laughs> outfit. And it's like, oh, that is so great, so brilliant. Yeah, yeah they're uh, they had, I think they had a lot of fun with their with the film, uh, the film the the shots I yeah almost, i almost said filmography that's no the directions really actually that's something i did want to talk about particularly for the original i mean they're they're both interestingly there's a kind of a way in which they're both products of their time aren't they the, the re the remake feels very much like a kind of um like a mid-2000s movie to me in the way it's shot and put together yeah. like enemy um, of the state or yeah. conspiracy theory yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's got a lot of that similar kind of vibe in the way it's filmed, and the yeah, and the way it uses the 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 jump cuts for the hallucinations. You know, where he'll, you know, he's talking to the girl, and then it cuts back, and it cuts to her again. Suddenly, she's got a bullet hole in her forehead, and that that kind of thing. Um, but I loved some of the stuff in the original film. There was some really, really very smart filmmaking. Um, I remember there's a there's a sequence near the end, you know, where they go bursting into the arena. It looks like it's handheld for a mm-hmm. minute there, which is really impressive. And there's a shot when they're driving there where the camera's in the back seat of the car, 
and it's again it feels handheld it's got, it gives it a real kind of kinetic energy you know to the to those sequences um and there was another bit earlier on i'm looking through my notes there to try and find it but there was another bit earlier on in the movie that did a pull a similar trick where it went handheld briefly oh it's when he's chasing the guy at the press conference Sinatra's trying to, you know, he's he's just completely screwed up because the Senate has done that whole thing and, and made an idiot out of his the guys who to be gone. Sinatra chases him out, and the camera's right in the crowd with him, getting jostled along with him as he's running through. You know, it, they weren't big sequences, but they were just so well made. And I think, I mean, I'd, I've not seen a huge amount of 60 cinema, so maybe it was par for the course, but it felt quite advanced. You know what I mean? I thought this is this is some really really intelligent filmmaking going on here yeah I, I i felt the same i think each time that that subtle genius happened it was mm. just a little bit more ratcheting up the tension and yeah it doesn't let go of it it just yeah 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 absolutely you just keep going and yeah and, and and yeah related to that the moment when he Sinatra realizes he's screwed up, right? Because he realizes that his guy's just gone and murdered his his uh, his father-in-law and and wife. And Sinatra comes into the flat, and the camera angle is just off kilter. You know, mm. it's that it's that Bride of Frankenstein, twenty degrees away from true. And you just all that all that happens is Sinatra walks in the door, but you know from a combination of what's on his face and the camera angle. You know, you know everything that's going on for that guy. You know, you know that he's just feeling dizzy and sick and scared and angry. You know, like it's and that again, it's brilliant filmmaking. It's, that's a subtle thing. It's just a little trick. Um, but it really just adds, gives that scene just a little extra punch. Yeah. Extra unease. Yeah. <clears throat> Everybody's a little confused. Yeah. Well, and it's just like it's just gone wrong. You know, the world has just gone wrong at that point. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, and even even the camera's not quite true, you know. <laughs> so uh, I like that. And and Sinatra's character uh, was it Corporal, Corporal Marco. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> some 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 rank Marco, that's yeah. uh, played by Denzel Washington in the remake. I know he's he, Major Major Marco. Major Major Marco. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That sounds a lot better than Corporal. Yeah. Anyway. God, it's. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Sinatra's not going to be a corporal. Come on, now. he doesn't get out of bed for less than right, less than captain rank. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're both majors. Denzel's a major as well. They're both the major. Yeah. And his uh, his character reflects the more right leaning idea of how the military works. It worked mm. in the sixties. You know, they took care of all their soldiers. Yeah, they totally believed him. They yeah. started working with him early on yeah that's interesting isn't it that that different twist yeah i picked up on that the the the, the recent movie is far more cynical about the military isn't it than the mm. original uh, in the original they take him seriously from early on um and very quickly yeah you're right it's him and the military working together to try and figure out what's going on as opposed to in the remake where the military are like an active pain in the ass <laughs> the entire way <laughs> but i fucking and, go ahead and I was going to say, and not, I don't think, not because I don't, not because they're another conspiracy, but just because they're so bloody minded. I love that. You know? <laughs> I, I love the bit where uh, after he's chewed the implant out of Lee of Schreiber, uh, oh, Schreiber's yeah. back. And God, that's a great scene. Oh. They're just in that quiet room surrounded by 
all the chaos going in the opaque windows behind him. Yeah, yeah. It was just a great, like, contained, contained piece turning into violence at the drop of a queen of diamond or the ring of a phone or just a sudden realization. He chews it out of his fucking back after he found the one in his own. Yeah. And the... Some of the people I lose track of who they are with, because some of the people are with Manchurian Global, some people are with military intelligence, some are part yep. of the Secret Service, some are all of them. Yes, <laughs> perhaps most cynically of all, yeah. <laughs> and the guy's just like, oh, you're fucking stupid, you're fucking crazy, you want to hit me, go ahead. And it's like, oh, pop. Yeah. You don't even see his hand moves. Like, you fucking hit me. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that moment. It's so great, isn't it? Because it's it's what it's 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 what almost never happens in that scene. We've heard that speech how many times we've seen that interrogation technique mm-hmm. in that moment, and it's so great. And it is, yeah, you're right. It's so fast you don't even see it. He just sits him on his ass. It's just like <laughs> bam. <laughs> we know I'm a programmed assassin bitch yeah 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 you know he loved filming that you know that was like yeah <laughs> that was a good day on set right there yeah I was like can we do that again i just i i, I think i uh closed my yeah. eyes <laughs> yeah can we just go for one more take i just want to <laughs> make sure we've got coverage <laughs> i really loved can we talk just a little bit about um as we've mentioned about lee schraber in in this because i thought he was so so good um oh, so good film. I mean, I'm I'm a big uh, Ray Donovan fan. It's it's one of the TV series that I'm following religiously on broadcast now, um, because I just I just love it. I just love all my, it's it's filled that Soprano shaped hole in my mm. life. And, uh, <laughs> it is clearly derivative of the Sopranos. I mean, there's no getting away from that. There's a lot of similarities. The you know the professional uh, life of crime and the and the domestic family life and how the two get intertwined. That's Sopranos all the way. Um, but there's so many great performers in that series that really make well. And John Voight, of course, being a classic example, he's he's turning in career best performances. I think in that, that show, I'm I'm uh, weekly I am astonished by how great John Voight is uh, in Ray Donovan. He's fucking fantastic. Um, but I really loved uh, Schreiber in this. I thought it was a really tough part actually because he's constantly. Um, almost all of what's going on with the character has to be conveyed non-verbally because you know according to the script he's he's following well the character's following a literal script isn't he he's Mm. been programmed so to make the performance work and to make it believable you've he's got to be communicating non-verbally the whole time you know to us the audience what's really going on under the surface and i just thought he did such a great job with it yeah, it was very believable. I know he, for the politician part of him, and I'm not sure what other aspects he could have got from it, but he looked at uh, Bobby Kennedy very closely. Oh, oh okay. Oh, that re- yeah, that fits. Yeah, that, that works really well. Which Yeah, I, yeah. That, uh, please, please go on if you were going to expound. No, no, you go. No, go for uh, it. Go. Which... I thought was an extra nice little touch because there is one there, one of the other big conspiracy theories is that Sirhan Sirhan was a Manchurian candidate. Sure. When 
he was sent to kill Bobby Kennedy. Um, I think I'm so poor at this, but I think he's still alive, but he still has no recollection. He's, he says, and, uh, psychiatrists have, uh, backed up his story. Wow. That I don't, uh, I don't think I knew that. That's, that's really interesting. He, he's been put under hypnosis for his, he was put under hypnosis a multiple of times during his trial. I don't know if it was at his trial, but during medical examinations by both sides. And he right. was found to be easily susceptible to hypnotism. And he uh, uh. only remembers up to the point of going into the hotel kitchen. Wow. And then the next thing he remembers is being choked by Secret Service. Wow. And in hypnotisms, he would reenact or act as if he was being phantomly choked. Huh. And uh, I think he was hypnotized, I think six, somewhere between six and ten times. Right. And it nothing ever changed. No extra information came out. God, that's really interesting. Because, I mean, one of the things, it's not, I mean... Some people are more susceptible than others to hypnosis, of course. That's that's a basic truth. But it's also true that the more often some we know the more often someone is hypnotized, the more susceptible they become, right? I mean that's yeah. fairly so the fact that he was immediately very susceptible is suggestive. It's obviously it's not actually quite informative, but it's certainly yeah. suggestive. There's yeah. a lot of suggestion that goes with that. But <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. great because I, you know what, I, I, we, I, I was saying how we did a podcast on JFK and Nixon, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, after four and a half hours of talking about that with Daniel Harper amongst other people, I'm fairly convinced that the the Kennedy conspiracy theory doesn't hold a lot of water. But you've now got me paranoid about Bobby. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> just just as I put one conspiracy theory to bed in my own mind, you bring up a new one for me to start worrying at. <laughs> Cheers, dude. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we, we love our, our uh, government conspiracies here in the States. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing is, it happens often enough. I mean, we've been talking about MK Ultra. Sometimes there is a conspiracy. Um, yeah. Just because you're paranoid you know, doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Damn right. And, and you know, I mean, it's interesting. The, the Kennedy one's interesting to me because with all the heat and light that's been on the Kennedy assassination for however long it's been now, there haven't been, I don't think there's ever been a movie about the Gulf of Tonkin incident, despite the fact that that was a real conspiracy that actually led to a war. You know, mm-hmm. they faked an attack on US soldiers in order to start Vietnam. And, yeah. and you know, that, where's that movie? You know? <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of Lyndon Johnson will come back yeah. and haunt whoever makes that movie. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. But, but seriously, you know, that's, that's a hell of a story to be told. Yeah. I'm I'm a little surprised that Oliver Stone or somebody hasn't got along to it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? You'd think that would be that would be something they'd want to get into. Um, although it's yeah, not to not to redo the podcast. I did. I mean, I, just on a very brief tangent there, it's interesting to me that one of the things that Stone left out of the Nixon movie was uh, the fact that that Nixon conspired with. The, I mean, actually committed treason in order to win his election in the first place by going to the Viet Cong behind everyone's back and saying. Don't sign a deal with Johnson. We'll do you a better deal to end the war when I'm in charge. Yeah. Like that, and that happened, and that's high treason. And yeah. no one's ever made a movie about that. You know, everyone. I mean, not that Watergate wasn't a scandal and didn't need talking about, but it, how come? How come that movie never got made? You know, anyway. 
hopefully, I mean, the speaking of deals, that makes me think of things that are being investigated nowadays right now. with oh my god presidential campaigns and you know form, I'm, former I'm, commies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying really, really hard not to get hopeful about that because I've been. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like 2016 in terms of following politics in this country and in the US, and I, I follow both, it really was just like being kicked in the nuts over and over and over and over again. Like, it really, you yeah. know... While all you your celebrity heroes get... were dying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. While everyone everyone you love is just saying, fuck this, I'm out of here. You know, like, it's just... It was just horrible, horrible. So I'm kind of very much low, especially as 2017. This is the thing. 2016 wasn't even really... It was just a year of bad decisions. Mm-hmm. 2017 is the year of consequences you know like you know we've pulled the trigger on all of these really stupid ideas but the the bullet's still in motion it hasn't even hit yet you know what i mean like this year is the year it starts to hit yeah. so in a way it's like that was the overture you know what i mean like we're about <laughs> to hit this, this is now the first movement and we'll find out if there's going to be a second but yeah. so i'm trying because of all of that i'm trying very hard not to get too kind of hopeful but I, um, you know, the fact that he's, yeah, the fact that he's asking for immunity, mm-hmm. that's kind of a, that's a really big deal. You know, that's really like, cause like, you know, as he himself said in 2016, when talking about the email scandal, you don't generally ask for immunity unless you've done something wrong. Oh yeah. That's, you know? <laughs> there's a that's, lot of their statements coming back to haunt them right about right now. My favorite one was a quote from Sean Hannity saying, talking about hillary but saying can you imagine we could end up with a situation where we could have a we could have a commander-in-chief whose campaign is under active investigation by the fbi what a constitutional crisis that would be <laughs> she should immediately recuse herself from the race <laughs> oh, yeah what a fucking yeah bastard oh that i don't even get me started hannity's just he's I, I i'm not convinced he's human i think he was grown in a vat somewhere i'm not you know, like, because with all of those guys, I mean, like, Glenn Beck clearly is human. He's clearly, like, undiagnosed something. You know mm. what I mean? You look at Glenn Beck and you just think, that man just needs psychiatric help. He really, really, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not being flippant. Like, he does. He's, he's he clearly some counseling. He does. He Bless him. Like, he seems like a really caring human being who's just gotten horribly confused about everything um you know and unfortunately that confusion has led to him making a lot of money because he's kind of charismatic in how he does it so no one's going to tell him to stop but you know it's like it's like amy winehouse you know you see her perform and you think oh will someone please get this person some help because they're clearly talented they're clearly talented and they clearly lost their way and and that's glenn beckford and like and bill o'reilly's clearly a human being he's clearly a mess of a human being but he's clearly human you know what i mean like he's clearly just a bundle of neurosis uh, trying to somehow get through uh, a, a confusing and complicated world, um, but but Hannity, I don't I don't get it. Yeah, I just Han- do not do not get it. Hannity hatched out of one of Alex Jones's lizard people eggs or something. Yeah, yeah, you know? uh, absolutely. He was just grown in a vat from like Nixon's toenails and J Edgar Hoover's jizz or something. He was just you know <laughs> like he's just some Frankenstein creation. Yeah. That's why his head looks like it came out of a jar. <laughs> there it is <laughs> and i just wish they put it back in the fucking jar and stop him from talking because every time he does it it makes my heart hurt anyway oh. shit how did we get there i'm sorry i've done it again oh no we were talking about 
<laughs> the Gulf of Tonkin. We were oh Bobby Kennedy. Uh, Leave. Sh- we were Bobby talking about Kennedy. Leave Schreiber. Holy shit! That was a that was a rabbit hole and a half that we dived down. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Anyway, Schreiber, fantastic. Love him, and I, he's great in Ray Donovan. I don't know if you've been watching it, but he's he's amazing in that show. I got started on it, but it became one of the things that, similarly to you, almost mm. anything that I watch now is either something my son puts on because he's two and he can't watch okay. a lot of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's he's seen. A, a, I let, if he doesn't get scared, he watches horror movies and stuff with me. But um, I, I've been watching a lot of things that could be on the show, pretty much. So oh, I haven't. I could probably turn Ray Donovan, Donovan into a uh, you know series of special episodes about TV. I think uh, <laughs> we've had a, a couple. Of, I had a poll up in the the Psycho Semantic Podcast Facebook group. Join it. Yeah, come along. Yes, go there. It's great. It's a good place. About possibly doing TV shows, and I think The Wire won um, neck and neck with the upcoming Handmaid's Tale show. Oh right, yeah. That's I mean that's a no brainer because that's so that's so rich, isn't it? The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, The Wire is good, and the the thing that's nice about The Wire is each season kind of has a has its own focus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like the, the themes. I mean, it gets more pronounced as it goes through, but certainly remember, I mean, season four is completely about the education system, you know, the completely broken public education system. Um, and, and season five is very much about the local media and how local media is just slowly dying and the damage that that's doing to, to the political discourse, you know, that lack of local journalism and the impact that's having. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely scope there and it's just i mean that is just brilliant television the wire isn't it it's just mm. superbly every single aspect of it is brilliant the direction the acting the writing you know it's uh incredibly well crafted piece of work but yeah ray donovan i mean the, the thing about ray donovan is what what for me the thing that elevates it i mean because it could just be a sopranos replacement and that would be no bad thing because mm. there's clearly there's clearly more stories to be told i mean the sopranos in hollywood i mean that's already a fun twist but then but then it's the handling of the kind of the catholic abuse scandal stuff has just been absolutely amazing and that i mean i I, i'll keep it general because i I don't i wouldn't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet but it the way that develops through the first two seasons in particular is just amazing and i uh i mean i think i will be amazed if at least one of the writers hasn't got some kind of very close experience with that issue either they had family members affected or they were affected themselves i would be amazed if that's not the case because there's just the 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 raw honesty of of what gets told in that story is incredibly impressive and again schreiber's performance is absolutely monumental you know like he mm. just because you know how like in ray donovan like he he has maybe half a dozen lines an episode it's all <laughs> going on in his face he's a very taciturn character um and yeah, the way that that whole storyline develops is is really really impressive. Um, but anyway, going back to the the movies, there was one other thing I wanted to mention about the military in the twenty sixty uh, sorry in the two thousand four version. The, um, I loved Miguel Ferrer as the Colonel. I just <laughs> that's my that's my guy, you know, like because obviously I'm a massive Robocop fan, so 
um, whenever I see him on my screen, it makes me cheer. But he was so great at this. He was uh, such an asshole. Yeah, he's <laughs> so good at being a prick. I can't Isn't think it? of any. I can't think of anything I've seen. I mean, he's a prick in what the Night Flyer. That's him, right? That's been a long yeah, time that's since him. I've seen that. That is him. I, that's actually on my list to see. I haven't seen that yet, but I know, but I know it's him. Yeah, it is him in that. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, he. Well, I don't want to get. He's 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 a prick. I don't want to say yeah. any any more since you haven't seen it. But he's a prick in yeah. that. Robocop. Yep. This. Twin Peaks. He's like. Oh God! He's, he's the biggest he's the, asshole in Twin he's Peaks. The, the king of the pricks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, he kind of talks to people like uh, Bruce Campbell does at the beginning of Army of Darkness. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. That's it. Only, only he can't even be bothered to be angry with them. Like he doesn't even raise his voice because he, they're not worthy of him raising his voice. He just <laughs> You're all pieces of shit. Just listen yeah. to me. Because uh, yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? And that we we were talking earlier about the difference between the way the military behave in the two movies and how you know the the original movie is kind of. I mean, it's pretty. You're right. It's pretty pro-military. Actually, the military are the good guys uh, in that film. Whereas in in the in the remake, they're handled far more cynically. And kind of Miguel's performance kind of, you know, almost crystallizes that, doesn't it? He's almost mm. like the essence of that difference is in his character. Where he's just like, oh, you had a dream. Well, who gives a shit? You know, like <laughs> stop bothering him. Leave the man alone, or you're going to get fired. Basically, like yeah and and the the good version of the story that the military is pushing is oh you were just exposed to a lot of chemicals and depleted uranium and other horrible <laughs> shit but there's nothing sinister going on yeah well that's the, yeah that's that, there's a whole sequence isn't it where the guy who i think i think it was the the guy who played hitler in downfall wasn't it who's in it he's like I, I thought i thought that was him it was him, yeah. And he's like, I can't remember the actor's name. And he was like, this is not Gulf War Syndrome. This is not, that's not what's going on here, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he didn't even really believe the true conspiracy because he was like, ah, a little electroshock and some drugs. It's way yeah. cheaper. Nobody would waste the time. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, an escaped South African human rights violating scientist working for a multi-global corporation might. <laughs> that's a nice update of the nazis too isn't it the mm -hmm. the paperclip thing the idea that it what's what is the 2004 equivalent of the paperclip nazi well yeah ex ex south african yeah that'll do it's close enough yeah it's it's vague enough that the average moviegoer won't look too much into it yeah and it's distant enough i mean yeah they, they the south africans sort of replaced the nazis in the lethal weapon movies they certainly did, yeah. Very, very ably indeed. They served very well in uh, Lethal Weapon Two. Yeah, that yeah. was uh, that was fun. Um, you've just made me realise actually, <laughs> Miguel actually gets the same line in Robocop. Like, you want to take him offline because he had a dream. <laughs> <laughs> he had, he's playing the same part in both movies. That's hilarious. He's anyway, very anti-dream. Well, I, I mean, how far <laughs> in the future is Robocop? Well, yeah, that's true. That's that's one of the things that keeps coming up on the move on the on the podcast. Yeah, we're not we're not no one's really sure, but I mean, it's near future at eighty seven, right? So it probably yeah. is probably is nineties, early yeah. noughties. Yeah. After the the fallout from this, I would say it's a fiasco. That I mean, it wasn't even the military that 
thwarts the plot. In no. This. I'm sure everybody in the military that was involved in the cover-up got sent to uh, Siberia or left, <laughs> and he, he went corporate. He got a job. Yeah. Manchurian Global had to shift gears. Well, I, I think what happened is that the scandal rocked Manchurian Global so badly that they had to rebrand as OCP. Mm. It's the obvious thing. They had to go through a massive rebranding exercise to shed their, their bad image after the Manchurian debacle. So they became omni-consumer products instead. And it's a lot of the same technology. They are using brain yep. implants. They're yep. fucking with memories. Yep. Programming. That, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> so there Excellent. we we figured that out. We've created a shared universe for Manchuria Candidate and Robocop. I like that. It's good. <laughs> but one of the things she just mentioned there though that I really like, and actually that is true of both movies, for all that we've we've been saying that the military are the good guys in the first film, they are. Um but it is interesting to me that in both movies, uh they the you're right, the military don't save the day. The good guys don't save the day in either movie. It's, it's more complicated than that in both cases, isn't it? It's like, yeah. in fact, in both cases, it's the Manchurian candidate themselves that ultimately, you know, make the difference. Yeah, um, in, in different ways, but along the same line. Uh, please, please, yeah. please continue with this. Oh, uh, how are you on time? I'm all right. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I've got at least another 20 or 30 minutes. We're okay, right great. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, no, I just it, it just that's just something that I found really interesting in both cases. I mean, it, we, I guess we should talk about the ending, shouldn't we, and how they're different? Because it is um, as we. I mean, we have said it's the same story, but the, I, I think the differences are kind of illustrative. So in the first movie, um, the the guy who's come back with the Medal of Honor is going to assassinate the president at, at the um, at his acceptance speech in order that the VP who is married to Angela Lansbury, becomes the president. And effectively, that means she's going to become the president, right? Because he's useless. Yeah. Um, so that's the plan in the first one. Whereas in the second movie, the the twist is that um, the the Manchurian candidate is, going, is the vice president and will become president when Denzel Washington assassinates the president again at his acceptance speech. And the twist is quite important because what it makes is it means that Denzel Washington's character, who has also been brainwashed, um, I mean, that's the big twist, isn't it? The big double yeah. twist in the in the remake. And maybe the twist you don't see coming in the remake, even if you've seen the original. So it's the one that kind of makes you go, oh, OK, that's 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 different. Um, when you realize because it's that great line, isn't it? They have that second big confrontation between uh, Denzel and Liev and they're, and they're, they're facing off. And he says, and Schreiber just says to him, you think they didn't see you coming? You think they didn't know you were going to do this? I thought you were smarter than that. Yeah, it's a great moment. Because then, again, for the audience, certainly for me, that was a real like, oh, <laughs> shit. You know, it's such a yeah. great twist, you know? And then they, he gets the phone call and he says his, you know, and they say his full name and you, it does the whiteout effect that means he's going into to hypnosis. Um, and I love that. And I love how... So what then happens is basically that, that Schreiber breaks his own... No, he doesn't break his programming. He knows what he's been programmed to do, but he just decides instead to offer himself up as the sacrifice, right? He places himself on the mark where the president is supposed to stand, yep. knowing that Denzel will, will shoot him regardless because Denzel's programming is shoot the guy who, who stands on that spot. And he pulls um, his mother close. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so they both get hit. Yeah. I'd, oh God, it's so good, isn't it? I think, I, I mean, one of the things I like about both films is just how dark they're willing to go. They are really, really dark movies. Uh, in a way, especially the first one, considering when it was made. Um, in the UK, the DVD release of the 62 Manchurian Candidate has got a 15 certificate. So it's only suitable for purchase and viewing by people 15 and up. It's very rare for a movie from that time period to get a 15 rating, let alone an 18. It's actually quite tough to get because of the how tough the, the codes were at the time in the 60s. You know, it's just it was kind of hard to make a movie unless it was, you know, like real kind of midnight cult cinema. It was very hard to make a movie in the 60s that would get that, that that certification rating in the UK in the modern times, you know. But it is really, really dark. Um, the, yeah. Particularly in, in both movies, the, the hypnosis sequences where they're murdering their their uh, um, their colleagues, their, their brothers in arms, their fellow soldiers, they're so bleak, man. They're really horrible scenes uh, and really uncomfortable to watch, even to, to a modern viewer, I think. Yeah, uh, in yeah, in both versions. I mean, yeah, it was a little bit more graphic in the modern version, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. But for early '60s mainstream Frank Sinatra, Angela Lansbury, right? <laughs> I mean, he's got the rope or the rag around the guy's throat, and everybody's yeah. just sitting there. Not giving a shit, possibly another commentary on the indifference of people to war. Yeah. Um, it's like, do this. Yeah. You follow orders. Yeah, but I think for me, what makes that so chilling in the original, and you're right, it is less graphic, but it's still really chilling. And it is exactly what you said. It's the nonchalance of everyone surrounding. Everyone else is sitting around like they're still at a tea party. Mm -hmm. And even the guy doing the choking has this serene look on his face while he's doing it. He's not angry or, you know, or fear. he's just serenely doing it. Um, and then the moment later on where he's, you know, in that same sequence in the, in the 62 movie where he just asks Sinatra for the gun. Mm -hmm. You know, can you give me your side of, sure, sure, buddy, here you go. Yeah, why not? And it, the, it's, it's the calmness in their tones and the calmness in their manners as it's played out. And then they although he said saying it's not as graphic, but then he shoots the guy in the head and there's the blood splatter <laughs> against the, it's, I think it's Stalin, isn't it? It's a yes. big poster of Stalin. It's just splashed with like brain of blood. It's like, whoa, <laughs> see, tiger. In you know, case you funny. didn't know, we are saying this is all blood on the communist <laughs> hands. Yeah, yeah, right. This is this is where communism leads, kids. Because just say no. <laughs> brains up against yeah, the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Every time. No, it's really. Uh, that was yeah. That was impressive. Yeah, that's that's not a subtle bit of imagery, is it? But it, I love those sequences, and I think what I love about them the most is the way that they cut between the soldiers' hallucinations and what's actually happening, um, and they do that really powerfully in both films. It's constantly cutting between what the soldiers see and and what's you know what's actually in the room what the hip, what the hypnotizers and the actual audience are seeing my favorite moment on that score in the first movie is where they they've been, we've been watching the soldiers and they're sitting in the and it's a tea party isn't it they're surrounded by old women mm -hmm. um and you've seen it from two or three different soldiers perspectives and then you see it from the black soldiers perspective and it's the same tea party but all the women are black it's mm -hmm. a lovely little touch because what's that? What that's reminding you of is because they're hypnotized, they're seeing their own subconscious's representation 
of what they're expecting to see. So when the guy says tea party, the you know, old women's tea party, well, all the white people see white old people, but mm-hmm. the black guy sees black old people just because that's what's in his, you know, that's his kind of association. And I just love that because it's, they didn't have to do that. And it actually, it's quite, I think that's an intelligent bit of filmmaking. Very much You know so. what I mean? Because whoever's thought of that has gained that out enough to say, oh no, the, the black guy would see black old women. And it's not commented on, it's not, it's not relevant to the plot at all. And it's only a, like a, a 20 second shot. I mean, it must've been quite expensive to do to actually, you know, to, to just replace the audience for that <laughs> one moment is actually, you know, and I, I just stuff like that gives me an enormous amount of pleasure because it's, it's really, really intelligent filmmaking. You know, you really get the feeling like you're in the hands of someone who cares about the story they're trying to tell and is really thinking it through and then is prepared to spend that much time and effort on a really throwaway thing just to help you immerse in the story they're telling um i think that's really impressive as much effort goes into make you feel disoriented at times yes. the same amount goes in to make sure that you aren't pulled away at the wrong moment yeah absolutely and then you end up and it just yeah go ahead Oh, I just say, and it just assumes a level of intelligence in your audience. I think that's what I really love about that particular moment. You know, is that it assumes that otherwise enough people would have been annoyed by that not happening, that it was mm-hmm. worth doing. I think that's in, I'm just, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I would think in the early sixties, uh, a black man might not feel as comfortable and relaxed sitting up on a stage in front of a room yeah. of old Southern white ladies. Uh, yeah well no quite absolutely <laughs> but it, it but it required someone someone in the in the writing and someone in the direction to see that realize that realize the implications of that and then and then have the you know because it i mean i don't know i'm extrapolating maybe they just they had their budget and they went but i mean it, it's a non-trivial decision i guess is all i'm really trying to say to to do, to choose to stage that and film it was a non-trivial decision that will have added to the cost of the movie and uh you know, I'm just hats off to whoever it was on the on the creative side that realized it was a necessary thing to do, that's all. I don't even think I noticed that the first time through. And it it just yeah, it just helps you smooth it through everything leads up to in the original one, speaking of visuals, you end up killing the true villains, I guess. The at least the <laughs> uh the reachable villains of the movie and then blowing your brains out while wearing what looked like a priest costume speaking of oh, oh. religion how, and your medal yeah, of honor yeah. yeah how great i mean that's a lovely touch because it's just um i mean it's angela lansbury says you're gonna wear you're gonna wear a priest's outfit to avoid suspicion and it, i guess that will work but i just just love i mean uh, yeah the symbolism of that is superb isn't it? when you when you see the priest loading the sniper rifle it's, really, <laughs> it's such a chilling moment it's really great yeah great video i mean again that that's not remotely subtle but uh but damn damn it's a powerful image definitely look great way for that movie to go out and yeah and the 2004 took a slightly less dark turn i yeah. guess you know the yeah. The broken hero sacrifices himself at the end. Yeah, I think so. Takes out Meryl Streep's rise to power. I yeah. I guess Denzel Washington ends up more like 
the Frank Sinatra counterpart was all throughout the original one, working with the FBI or whatever shadow government yeah. thing. Yeah. Very much like the end of the conspiracy theory movie, trying to track right. down the brainwashers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to trying to crack the conspiracy open. Yeah. Which is kind of, yeah, I guess is it's about as happy a, an ending as you could have predicted for that guy, given, <laughs> given what he goes through. It's probably, you know, he's got to count that as a win at the end of the day. Although he had to, you know, he had to kill his friend to do it. I mean, it's pretty tough. He did, but I think, well, they became friends, I guess, throughout. But I think there was also that part in they uh, stressed that nobody really liked Liev Schreiber in the army. Or at least a lot of the men didn't, because when he opens up the the uh, transport, everybody just kind of glares at him, and then they laugh when he no, walks away. Yeah. And I guess that was also... Oh, that's in both movies, yeah. I guess that was... Sorry, going, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it was probably... No, no, that's all right. Probably f- to stress that that line that they all had brainwashed into them about Raymond yeah. Shaw's the kindest, gentlest, warmest... Yeah, bravest man I've ever known. Uh, yeah. Bravest man, I know. yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, you're right, and it, it just—it's funny that 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 plot points in both movies, isn't it? They they both hit on that thing about. I they, I think Sinatra's line is like I I know that I always say that, but I don't I don't feel it. I don't I don't think I even like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was one of the common three lines. Yeah, um, but I feel like. Your and my discussion of how the movie ended was a lot better than me bringing it all the way back to the fucking beginning. But <laughs> that's that's how we roll here <laughs> over the Psychosemantic podcast. Since we've sort of worked our way through the movie in a relatively straight line, is there anything you'd like to go back to? Well, I, I mean, I think it's probably worth... I think it's probably worth talking a bit about why I picked the movies for the podcast. Cause it's kind of funny. I'd seen, I had seen both of them, but it had been a few years. And I think in the back of my mind, I had this funny idea that, that, that we'd be talking about Trump himself as a Manchurian candidate. I think that was kind of what I thought. Um, and that remains to be seen. We, uh, yeah. the investigations have only just begun. He definitely, is not acting like he knows how to or wants to do the fucking job. No, well, that's, I mean, I've said this on other podcasts, I know, but he really does to me look like a man who, who was doing this for a bet. And it's just like, please make it stop. You know, like I I never wanted, I just, I just wanted to increase my advance from the next season of the apprentice. That's all I was trying to do and maybe launch a news channel. That's, that's it. You know, please don't make me do this. Um, and I, you know, I can't quite find it in myself to feel sorry for him, but that still mm-hmm. seems to be my overwhelming impression of the guy at the moment. Yeah, he he definitely seems to be a guy who talks without thinking and yeah. does things without thinking. And yeah. I actually, this is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. I thought it was more of a, I'm a details-oriented person. I think you would say that. Fuck you! With the amount of power that he has so... For a guy that likes to be in control of everything... Yeah. He's given up a surprising and is trying to give up even more. uh, Because he is planning on handing over... Basically, the job of the president to his son-in-law, Jared Kirshner. Jesus Christ. 
lost. Who is married to Ivanka. Yeah. Ivanka was just given or is in the process of getting a official job to go with her high level security clearance and office in the white house. Jesus. Kirshner. I forget he ran or runs some sort of news slash Breitbart like media thing. Right. He is already um, implicated in having secret meetings with Russian officials. <laughs> he is supposed to take over the jobs of the presidency or uh, overhauling the administrative line and using business ideas to streamline oh. the way the government works. Oh, God help us all. While also oh. being on a panel to fight the opium opioid epidemic with Jeff Sessions, I believe, uh, Tom Price. See, my thing was, and I mean, I understand why people did this, but you know when Trump's inauguration speech, so I guess I'll just give a, a, a tiny bit of my own history with this. I, I stopped watching the news the day of the election, the day after the election. Mm. Um, the night the results were coming in, I stayed up till about 3 a.m. watching Fox News uh, because I thought it was going to be awesome, right? I thought mm-hmm. this is going to be the meltdown to end all meltdowns when Fox News, you know, have to declare Hillary as president. It's just going to be beautiful. That was my frame of mind. So I sat down with my popcorn at about 11 o'clock and thinking this is going to be at UK time, thinking this is going to be great. At about 3.30 a.m., I realized it was going to go the other way, and I went to bed just feeling sick, you know, just feeling disoriented and terrified and you know i think traumatized is not too strong a word for how i felt um and i i just refused to watch the news from that point forward until inauguration day because i just had to take a break i was so battered by what had happened uh, and it felt it felt so far outside of my expectation of how the world works um i just had to take a break you know just for my own mental health i just had to be like okay i'm just gonna concentrate on other things for a little while and the inauguration was the first time I'd I'd seen Trump at all since since he won. Um, and I know a lot, you know, I understand why people focused on the other parts of his inauguration speech, because it was a singular inauguration speech. There has never been one like that in American history, and hopefully there never will be again. Um, you know, the rhetoric was, was horrific uh, mm. and inflammatory. But one of the things I spotted that didn't really get picked up in a lot of commentary afterwards was like, he did just reopen the war on drugs. He did, you know, a, a war that has slowly but surely been going through this gradual de-escalation over the last 10 or 15 years as successive administrations have realized it's a bottomless, pointless, endless war that can never be won. And he's just fired the whole fucking thing back up again, you know, in that inauguration speech. Yeah. And all that bullshit about, you know, we're going to, this, this, the drugs that are ravaging our inner cities, we're going to destroy it. It's like, dude, it's not fucking 86 anymore. You know what I mean? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? Um, and it, as I say, I understand why that's not other, you know, that's a, it's kind of a, other people, I think completely rightly prioritize their outrage about other things. You know? <laughs> Cause there were, there were plenty of other more outrageous things that are more dangerous and more damaging, but it did piss me off that I did notice it. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. So on top of everything else, He's going back to the Reagan mantra and the war on drugs. Like, oh, for 
God's sakes. Yeah, let's start kicking doors down again. Yeah, it's like he's determined to do... It's like he's determined to, to pick the worst instincts of every single Republican president for the last 40 years and do all of it at once. You know, like, and, and some of the Democrats too, to be fair. I mean, Clinton, Christ, Clinton had his moments. But you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's just like, he's just the worst. He's just the worst of all of those instincts in one bundle. And I mean, it's like, the other, the other thing for me is like, again, having recently spent a bit of time thinking about Richard Nixon, this, the, the similarities between this guy and Nixon are really striking um in oh, so yeah. many ways uh, and not least of which the interesting thing for me is like I, I i still think that the clinton email scandal that isn't an email scandal at all that the similarities between that and watergate when you scratch the surface you know the only difference is watergate was was american spooks but busting into democratic headquarters and stealing information and mm. this looks like was probably russian spooks but other than that, it's the same conspiracy. Yeah, the technology is just better. Exactly. The technology's just moved on, but it's the same fucking conspiracy. It's amazing. I, I mean, he's not really a guy for new ideas. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> he's... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. It's like it's like the opposite of a greatest hits, isn't it? It's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's like every shitty B-side and rarity that should never have seen the light of day. Like, this is what we're going to do. I saw this on TV. (laughs) You know what I love, though? Like, you can't even beat, like, the satire can't beat what's happening right now. He did that interview with Time, didn't he? And he actually said to Time magazine, I've had the most covers now, haven't I? It's like, and the guy from Time actually said, no, I think Nixon had more than you. He's like, I'm sure I'll beat him. (laughs) I'm, I'm quite sure you will. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm oh, sure you're oh. on the way, Mr. And the whole law and order bullshit. Like you're talking about with the war oh. on drugs and yeah. just saying I'm going to be a law and order president was straight out of the Nixon book. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's actually this, I was toying with, um, I was toying with the short story about having, having J. Edgar Hoover doing this dark black magic ritual to have the Southern strategy made into a physical form and that Trump was that, you know, like he's Ooh. just this, it's like this golem that was created by the Southern strategy. He's like the final form yeah. of the Southern strategy the made flat. Yeah. And now even, even the FBI can't control him anymore. That's the punchline. Of course, he's now completely out of control. <sighs> yeah. The, the establishment is trying to, haul him in and the secession it's i just want him to go away but it's not like mike pence is much better oh christ no he's just slightly less likely to start a war yeah and i think um i mean the thing that the thing i don't know why the hell i feel like i should be giving advice here it's a ludicrous thing to say the thing i would be keeping an eye on at the moment and i mean it's difficult because there's a shitload of moving parts but the thing that i hope someone is keeping a very strong eye on is the voting rights stuff because a big part of how trump won this election is because of the voter suppression stuff that local republicans have been pulling off in in the south and in the purple states for a long time you know over the last 10 years voter id laws um and you know restrictions in voting closing voting booths limiting voting time using those crappy voting machines that don't really work all of that stuff's been happening and it's a it's a you know 
it's not subtle. It's an explicit effort to suppress the vote because they know that the, the Republicans know the higher the turnout, the more likely a Democrat wins. Mm-hmm. And the truth is this shit was going on when Obama won. It's just Obama's victory margin was big enough both times that it didn't matter. This time out, we finally had a close one again. And oh, look, yeah, you know, when it's close, this is what happens. The... But with the sorry, go on. No, I was just to say the, the the controlling of the voting districts, the voter suppression and the gerrymandering. Yes. Just to throw right, that yeah. in quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. That's here, no, no, that, that's an important component. And which I think that's in. what Arnold Schwarzenegger is working on <laughs> is oh, anti-gerrymandering. And he's kind of a political piece of shit. Yeah. But <laughs> not as bad in comparison with other people. But no, and look, if he's if he's going to fix that issue, then he has my respect for trying to fix that issue because that's that's an affront to democracy, regardless of party, as far as I'm concerned. So, fair yeah, enough. I'm I'm in a voting district that I think is ninety percent white. Right. It runs down the main street here in Columbus called High Street. Right. Just barely. I I live maybe a block or two from the main. Uh, street that run, cuts the city in half. Right. I'm in the same voting district as my dad, who lives a two-hour drive north. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. That's just to illustrate yeah. the, the fucked way. And uh, left and right, hopefully it gets held up. The Supreme Court, uh, in the block Supreme Court nomination, there's oh. a whole other whole other bag bag of worms can yeah, of worms yeah, yeah. um yeah that but, shit was disgraceful that was absolutely disgraceful anyway sorry i have that, nothing that, to add. That, that's when i started getting nervous was at yeah. how blatant yeah the rules that i thought were really rules didn't really matter yep and the the new the new nominee Gorsuch and there's there's people that openly spoke of yes we're gonna block this and if Clinton wins we're gonna block it for four years are yeah. now saying that's the past there's no reason yeah. why we shouldn't yeah. have a quick vote well, fuck yeah. you absolutely um but right now some of the lower courts are overturning the fucked up. Uh, voter suppression laws and gerrymandered districts right. saying that they're unconstitutional. So right. eventually that's going to be kicked up to the high court. I mean, that'll be interesting though, won't it? Cause the Supreme court are the ones who kind of kicked this shit off in the first place by, by striking down the, the voting rights act mm-hmm. or striking down a large part of it, which I was just gobsmacked by that. That was uh, unbelievable. And that it felt like that kind of came out of nowhere, that decision. It felt like that no one was really expecting that to happen. Um, I and that's that's horrendous because that's really opened the floodgates. And that's one of the major uh, oppositions to Gorsuch is I think in twenty major cases he sided with corporations over people. Oh Christ! Just like the Citizens United ruling, where the Supreme yeah. Court said corporations have the same rights as people. That that was just an absurdity, man. It's just. <sighs> But anyway, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason I say that I hope someone's watching all that stuff is just to say it's not that all the other stuff isn't important. There's going to be an assault on women's rights. There's going to be assault on gay and especially transgender rights in the next few years. And all of those fights need to be fought. 
they're all important because they're life and death for people and i don't want to minimize that at all yeah. But the reason I say the voting rights and the voter suppression stuff is so fucking important is because the gerrymandering is what led to now. And the Republicans have a locked in majority in the House. Like the, the Republicans just control the House. And, follow, you know, unless there is a, a landslide of epic proportions against the Republicans, which might happen, Trump could cause that. But unless that happens, the Republicans are just going to control the House until the end of time because mm-hmm. they've cheated. You know, they have they have cheated and they have gained the system. If you allow them to do the same thing with, with voting rights, America could be entering a very, very scary period in its history, you know, and that's the thing I'm terrified of most of all because it's not that they'll stop having elections. That's not how totalitarianism ever works. They don't stop having elections. The elections just stop mattering. Yeah, and there's already people that think that. And I think right. that's why if... I didn't vote was a candidate, that would be our president right now because more people didn't vote than people voted for and Clinton and Trump combined. Yeah. Yeah. I believe. At least more than. And I thought of the. No, I, that's right. That is. No, you're absolutely sad. right. If you count up. Yeah, if you count up the non votes, that's terrible. It's terrible. But that's one. Of, I think that's one of the things the Democrats have really got to try and engage with in the next two years. I think they need to be. I think they need to kind of say to, to non voters, you've, you've got to help us out lend us even just lend us your vote this time let us redress the balance let us you know we just want a level playing field let us level the playing field you know what i mean i think that's got to be part of the campaign because it's just it's so fucking scary right now but the thing i was okay to loop it back to the movie so the (laughs) thing that made me laugh the reason i brought up trump as a manchurian candidate when i when i made that joke at the time i was thinking very much of the remake and the fact that the manchurians and the idea that trump was going to be this corporatist president you know because that's how he sold himself as kind of you know president ceo right that was his mm-hmm. pitch pretty much which is kind but of I how love he's the, doing but i love the fact that it looks like he might actually have been a russian the whole time <laughs> <laughs> like, it turns out that the 63 the 62 version's kind of more accurate in a weird way like it, it turns out it was the fucking kgb <laughs> yeah it's i mean just, so weird there was i don't know if you saw any the the senators started having their hearings since yeah, the house dropped that. the ball pretty bad and that security expert said whether he planned on doing it or not trump fell into and used yeah. russian propaganda techniques yeah uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, st- I, hey, I remember him on the campaign trail publicly saying, "Hey, Russia, we hope you're going to find the rest of these emails and publish them." I mean, yeah. that, that, I didn't hallucinate that. That fucking happened. That he's fucking he's happened. on the, you know, I mean, like, I don't know how, how that happened. I don't know how the guy who did that got president, but it fucking happened. Luckily, the tape is out there, so yeah. I mean, there will there will have to come a reckoning on that. That is, it's fucking unbelievable. Man. At some point, I mean, yeah, I think every seat in the House is up in 2018, uh, yeah. 15, 20 senatorships or something like that, somewhere yeah. close to that same number of governorships. My recollection is the Senate's really terrible for the Democrats in this next cycle. And I yeah. think it's because they don't have many seats they can take. It's one of those cycles where it's almost all defense for the Democrats in the Senate, if I remember rightly. Mm-hmm. Um They've got to concentrate on the House. I mean, they, they can keep the Senate close, and they will, and they should, but the House is where they've got to make it happen. They've got to flip the House, which means they need a landslide for the House. And we know Democrats don't do well in off-season 
um, yeah. at the best of times. It's a crunch election, the House. Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm, I am encouraged by what I see from my, my American friends in the kind of centre and left who do seem to be, they seem to get it. I see people already who are suiting up for that, who are saying, we've got to be talking about the House now. We've got to be organising and campaigning for the House now. And they're right, they do. Because that's your best shot. That's your best shot. If you can get the House, you can tie it up. And yeah. I mean, I... I can't imagine this guy isn't going to be a one term. I just can't see him getting a two terms. I just can't. I uh, yeah, I can't see him p- trying to pull the same because he's already been fucking over so many people that have voted for yeah, him. Yeah. I, I well, hope and, they're not and, that yeah. stupid. And fascinatingly as well, the other interesting thing is that they're looking at their, the collapse of the um, the great American health care act. Holy <laughs> fucking shit. <laughs> but look, Look at it. Look at it. See, watching that particular Frankenstein's monster walk straight off a cliff. What's interesting is um, it it, it was a combination of moderate Republicans who were shit in the bed because they had their inboxes filled by constituents saying, do not pull the plug on my health care. But it was also the Coke funded ultra right wing that that, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the Freedom Caucus, right, that came out and were like, oh, you're not going far enough. (laughs) fuck take away you know, more take away yeah. more it's like no if you if you if you do this there may still be some poor people that survive cancer that's not acceptable um we want them all to die uh, before they hit retirement age and we have to pay their pension funds so please sort that out mr trump yeah that was what a mess man interesting to me because trump i mean what trump is he's it's interesting there are ways in which i mean there are ways in which many ways in which he's rabidly right wing of course but then the interesting thing about populism is that it does sometimes cut both ways you know sometimes it's not as straightforwardly right wing as you might expect you know yeah i thought his wanting to be liked would help make him be less of a fucking fucker yeah yeah it turns out not so much yeah, uh, you know, well, Bannon's got his hand so far up his ass that he, yeah, that, <laughs> he doesn't sit down. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, that's that's that was always the thing about Trump was how much how much Trump was even going to be how much Trump was even going to be president, really. And I think that's still. I mean, he's he's already. I mean, for for the amount of time he's been in office, he's already set the record for recreation time. Right? He's already. He's already the most idle president at this point in the presidency that there's ever been, right? I believe so, so yeah. And, you know, I don't – that's going to get worse as it goes on. I, and the other thing is, you know, the, if, if, if the Democrats can flip the House in 18, then that puts impeachment on the table, you know? Because um, even if they don't get the Senate, you you'll if, if he does something – you know, if this Russian stuff comes out bad enough – you will be able to flip a couple of Republicans. I'm not a fan of Republicans at all, but there are Republicans of principle still alive in the Senate, and mm-hmm. you only need a couple. You only need a couple of them to be like, "This is a this is bigger than party politics. This is about patriotism. This is about the good of the nation, um, country over party." Yeah, and it, and it you only as I say, you only need two or three of them to flip it, and you I think you'll get them because I think the scandal will just be big enough. I mean, or at least I hope it will. I think it will because it's just. But what a fucking horror show, man! <laughs> what an absolute shit show. It's... You know, I was thinking like, I was thinking we were going to have to spend two years putting putting our boots on Hillary's neck to get the environmental stuff moving forwards and stop her backsliding on that shit and mm-hmm. and civil rights stuff. You know, I thought I thought the next big fight was going to be 
pushing forward on transgender issues and pushing forward on environmental stuff. And I was thinking that was going to be a fight because Hillary is very centrist, you know, on that kind of stuff. Very yeah. moderate, very and like, you know, that stuff needs to be accelerating, not decelerating. And in, te- in the and then it turns out, oh, no, we're, we're going to have to we're fighting a rearguard action against the scariest fucking thing you can imagine. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'll kill you all. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah, the best we can hope for is authoritarianism and, and a massive crackdown on civil rights. And, you know, at the worst end of the spectrum, it's like fucking World War Three or some shit. You know, like, oh, my God. Such, such a, yeah. Uh, my <laughs> my grasp on reality was relatively shattered on election night. I got fucking wasted, yeah. apologized to my kid. Yeah. He didn't know what was going on. I was like, I'm fucking sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Yeah. Hopefully I about, you won't yeah. be old enough to remember. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully you'll just read about this in your history books as like, America lost their damn mind for about 18 months and then we got our <laughs> shit together and it was all fine. You know, hopefully. Otherwise, you won't be reading books at all. You'll be right. hunting the irradiated wasteland for giant spiders to eat. That's, you know, that's <laughs> I don't know. Fuck. Oh, God. Yeah. And I, I apologize that it sort of distracted me a little bit from more global politics that aren't results of horrible things America has done. I was going to ask you a little bit about Brexit. Oh, no. I mean, that... That that was so fucking heartbreaking for me. Um, I was, I you know, there are problems with the European Union, and I don't want to minimise that. I, I, I mean, I've got I've got lefty friends who'd be very angry with me if I didn't point out that the European Union is a bankers' club, and it is, um, and it and it does serve the it does it does mainly serve the purposes of of massive multinational corporations at the at the expense of of the workers of the various countries. The way they handled the situation in Greece, in particular, was was disgusting it was as bad as anything the imf's ever done to a a second or third world country or or economy um so i know you know i'm no fan of the european union um but on a on a selfish personal level what it seems to me that has happened is that great britain has decided to punch itself in the face as hard as it possibly can for for no reason there just isn't any upside to to brexit at all it serves us no benefit whatsoever. We're passing a law right now in this country, having triggered, triggered Article 50, that will transfer all of the laws that now exist as European laws and make them UK laws. So all of that nonsense about take back control and we'll we'll stop being slave to all these all these uh, you know diktats from Brussels. Well, no, that's nonsense because we're about to make them all British laws. So we're not you know so that hasn't changed a thing. Um, they're now admitting what we already knew and we're telling them before that it's not going to make any difference to immigration. In fact, if anything, it's going to make the country's going to have more immigration as a result of this, not less. It's going to be harder to patrol our borders, not easier, because we haven't got the agreement with the other European countries to do so. Um, and economically, it's going to be somewhere between very bad and catastrophic. And, you know, it's it's either going to lead to a third recession that's probably going to last another five to ten years, or it's going to permanently downsize the United Kingdom economy by 10%. Those are the parameters within which we're currently working. And it's just horrible. It's just absolutely horrible. And it, it was so close. And it, it was one of those perfect storms. I 
knew it was going to be close. On the day of the election, I swear I'm not making this up. It sounds like something out of shitty Aaron Sorkin season four Westwood, <laughs> but this happened. On the day of the election in London, which was the area of the country that voted for uh, Remain the Highest, there were thunderstorms, flash floods, and gigantic catastrophic tube failures that crippled public transport and made it almost impossible to get across London. God. In the areas of the yeah, and in the areas of the country in the north of England where there were the that voted for leave by the highest proportions, it was a beautiful, balmy, sunny fucking day. I mean you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't make it up. It's, the weather it's machine like, was turned on. I, I, I've got this theory that God's a really shitty novelist and he's and he's branching out into political satire <laughs> and he just hasn't figured out subtlety at all. And twenty sixteen is like his his he's aiming for Hollywood. He wants he wants it to get made into a movie. So he really felt like he had to go for it. Cause that shit, you just I and I and I was watching it on the news and Nigel Farage, the the head of UKIP, who's just a fucking scumbag, he's you'll see him, he'll be on Fox News shortly. Uh, and you're welcome to him. Um, please keep please keep him. We don't want him back. Um, but he was on the news, you know, just openly saying, "Oh yeah, I think we'll have we might get a result here if if the if the fair weather remainers stay at home because it's raining, we should be all right." And it's like you fucking toad, you couldn't give a shit about the democratic process. You know, anyone who gives a shit about the democratic process should be out there saying, "I want everyone to turn up. I want I want turnout to be a hundred percent. It's too important." But no, not this guy. He's like, yeah, I hope it rains and I hope they stay home. You fucking yeah. Make it a national holiday. Yeah, exactly. Automatic voter registration. But I'll, I'll tell you the other thing about this. I'm, I'm going to have to go in a second. I'm sorry. I'd, I'd love to talk about this longer. But I, uh, no, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, Nigel Farage, the head of UKIP, said the day it happened that a revolution has happened in this great country and that, that revolution happened without a shot being fired. And, you know, not, not two weeks before he said that, a British member of parliament was assassinated in the street by a Nazi. I mean that I am not exaggerating a right wing fanatic who was radicalized by right wing extremism shot a female member of parliament in the head because of her pro European stance. Yeah. They never really cover the, uh, the white terrorists that much. Oh, you know, that is something that I am. So, I mean, it was an eye opener for me. Because even the left-wing press just wouldn't call it terrorism. And I was like, how fucking dare you? You know, at the point at which Nazis are shooting members of parliament in the streets of, of my country, that's a terrorist attack. That's a fucking outrage. You know, that is that is an assault on democracy, actually. Fairly precisely, that's what that is. You know, that's that's a terrorist attack on democracy itself. And I was I was I was devastated by that. I was devastated by the show. I mean, as it happens, I'm a member of the Labour Party in, in the UK. So that was that was an MP from my party. But I was just disgusted by the fact of it. You know, mm. I was in the same, I was disgusted when when conservative MPs were targeted by by the IRA. I mean, it's just it's not how we fucking do things in a democracy. You don't you you beat your opponents at the ballot box. You don't fucking kill them. You know, yeah, we're um, civilized or we're not. Yeah, exactly. We're civilized or we're not. And the fact that no one wanted to call it terrorism. And you know damn well if the guy had done it had been brown skinned, mm-hmm. it would have been fucking Islamic Jihad declares war on the UK. Would instead have been the headline wolf. everywhere. Instead, no. Instead of instead of lone, disturbed, mentally disturbed man. I mean, it wasn't even lone wolf. It was like the Daily Mail were making apologies for this guy's mental health. Say, so, oh, you know, this guy. He, uh, you know, he, 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 he. It was a cry for help. He'd reached out to his his psychiatrist twenty four hours before he went on the shooting. It's like. 
the fuck are you talking about? You know, like he was a Nazi. He was right wing fanatic. He read your fucking paper, was radicalized by right wing propaganda and went out and committed an act of murder. And, you, you know, and all you're worried about and all you're doing, you know, your response to that is to say, well, we really should do something about mental health in this country. <laughs> fuck fuck you, man. You. you want to do something about mental health? Stop publishing your fucking paper because you are polluting the minds of the, <laughs> the people of this country with your fucking raw sewage that you pour into their fucking eyeballs every day. Fuck yeah, man. And I know you got to go. I think that's a great, I have. great, great time to say, <laughs> yeah. say goodbye. Other than that, I don't have any strong feelings on the subject at all, though, just to be clear. <laughs> just that. I'm so sorry. You really got me on a rant there. I apologize. No, um, I love it, dude. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much right. for coming on. Um, cool. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. As I say, it's a really great show. I love the format. I love the free-flowing format. If you, I mean, not that you're asking for advice, but keep that. I'd keep that going because the commentaries were good too. You should get your missus on again to do another commentary because she was really good. Oh, thank uh, you so was, much. Uh, we got some in the works. Yeah, good because that was that was a fun. Because uh, what I liked about that is, I'm uh, not to plug my own show again, but I loved how you were. It was kind of conversational, and then you'd suddenly you'd stop mid sentence because something had happened on screen. You both be like, "Oh God!" Because <laughs> I love that. It gives it a real live feel. You know what I mean? It adds to the vibe, and I no, I enjoyed that a great deal. And she's she's a smart woman. You know, you you married smart there. She's got a lot to say. So uh, thank thank you very much. No, cool. All right, dude um yeah okay so i don't know yeah we'll we'll talk soon i'm sure uh, um and you've got you've certainly got an open invitation to come and watch robocop with me sometime if you want to that would be great awesome i i think i am gonna have to take you up on that <laughs> i fucking love that movie not to give yeah. anything else away no cool well yeah let's all right that's cool right uh right, so do you have to go right now or can i wrap up i can wrap no, up after do, you leave wrap up no no i do a wrap up but that's fine. okay great so uh thanks everybody for listening thanks again dude it was a fucking great time talking um everybody take care of each other out there remember to duck and cover you'll be all right <laughs> if, if we work together I, well, uh, as, as warren ellis says in his newsletter every week make sure you've affixed your own oxygen mask before attending to the person next to you Yeah.